today uh, we are going to talk about this unhealthy pursuit of perfection. Um, how many of you uh, today would say that you are a perfectionist? In some area, maybe not every area, but some areas you're a perfectionist. Yeah, some of us. How many of you would say maybe you're married to a perfectionist? Yeah, it's a lot of fun, isn't it? <laughs> but in certain areas of our lives, all of us are trying to live up or pursue this area of, of perfection. And uh, it is really a, a way that in our lives that, that is holding us back from being um, who God wants us to be. Like maybe it's a, these unhealthy um, desire for perfection in our own lives. Maybe we place these unhealthy expectations on ourselves. And so what that does is that keeps us from, from even maybe doing a lot of things. Because we think, man, I can't do that. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not even going to try. Because I know I can't get it right. Some of it's uh, maybe, and we're going to talk about all of these eventually, but some of it, uh, maybe it's unrealistic expectations of, of, of others. That you're trying to live up to someone else's standard of perfection in your life. And that fills you with uh, stress and fear and worry that you're not going to measure up. Maybe for some of you it is this, um, this desire to be perfect before God. And that holds you back. I've talked to so many people um, in the course of two and a half, nearly decades of, of ministry. who say, well, I just cannot follow God because I will mess up. I will fail. God's standards are, are too high for me. But what I know about many of you who, who struggle with some of those things or these, this area of perfection is that you would look at someone else and say, hey, don't worry about it. No one's perfect. But then you yourself are like, I've got to be perfect. I, I've got to get there. Like you're quick to show grace to somebody else, um, but in, in your own life, you're held to an unrealistic expectation. And then when you don't live up to that, you, don't, you have these deep feelings of shame or guilt or, or unworthiness. Um, and and the t to top it all off, Scripture can be pretty intimidating itself. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. This is what Jesus said, be perfect, therefore as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect. No pressure there, right? Just like God, be perfect. Never sin. Never have a bad thought. Never look at somebody critically. Be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. It's a lot of pressure. And I don't know if you ever felt like that. Um, but um, I, just, I was thinking this week ab about moms. And like you've got it so easy. Like all you have to do, mom, is you have to have a Pinterest-worthy home, Instagram-worthy looks, take your kids to the zoo, do crafts, throw elaborately themed birthday parties with ponies and princesses, have a successful career, keep up a hobby, post on Facebook, work out five times a week to keep your Instagram-worthy looks, pray an hour a day, pump three times a day to feed the baby while you're at work, be a homeroom mom, uh, do the laundry, read books, give baths, tell stories, sing songs, uh, feed your kids organic kale and carrots when you'd rather eat Oreos and ice cream. Like that's all you have to do. Like you just, you can't win. Some of you, if you're a working mom, uh, you might feel guilty because you're not at home with your kids. And then you feel guilty because you like not being at home with your kids. 
And, and if you're a stay-at-home mom, you feel guilty because you're not contributing financially um, to, to the whole thing. Or maybe you got a degree and you're not using it, and then you feel guilty for wasting money on a degree that you're not using. Then I can go into the list for dads. I could go into the list for students. I could go into the list for single people. I could go into to, to every list in all of the expectations, the, the unrealistic expectations that we place on ourselves or that other people uh, place on us, and it all impacts us in a different way. So if you battle with the, the pursuit of perfection in some areas, listen, you'll almost lie in order to show an image of yourself that's not real. Can we say hashtag Instagram? Or you might find yourself avoiding something that you'd like to do because you don't feel like you're going to hit the standard, and so you, rather than failing, you'd rather avoid it altogether. Or, or maybe you're more like me, and you just obsess over something to, to get it just right. I mean, it's the, I mean, sometimes to the point of inefficiency or ineffectiveness. And what we need to realize is that oftentimes perfection can be the enemy of progress, yet we still obsess about it. And knowing that it's unhealthy, and we just tell ourselves, well, that's the price that I have to pay in order to be successful. As I think many people battle this problem. There are three types of perfectionists I just want to uh, talk about real briefly. They're in your bulletin, so you can take those home and, and read them. But the first type is called a self-oriented perfectionist. Like, self-oriented. There are expectations that you put on you. And if this is you, you tend to hold unrealistically high expectations uh, of yourself, and you battle with feelings of, of guilt. You often obsess to the point of, of inefficiency. Um, and, and listen, this is kind of where I fit in to all of this. For years and years and years, every single Sunday I would go home, and I would have what they call the preacher hangover. I would sit there and obsess over all of the, the mistakes that I made during the sermon. I didn't say that right. I said the word but, and I shouldn't have said that. I'm going to get in trouble by the elders. Something like that. I would always obsess over, over what was coming out of my mouth because I had this desire to be perfect. And then when I wasn't, I would have so much guilt and shame poured on me that I thought, well, no wonder nobody's given their life to Jesus because I'm a horrible person. The self-oriented perfectionist. Or maybe the externally oriented perfectionist. Um, and this is what what you believe, true or not, what you believe that others expect of you. And if you believe this, um, that others expect you to be perfect, so to cope with the pressure, like a lot of times you'll use self-deprecating uh, humor as a defense. You might make fun of your work ethic or your appearance or, or whatever, um, totally as a defense. Um, you often feel very alone, maybe depressed, and, and you secretly, you're desperate because you know that no matter how hard you try, you'll never be good enough and live up to the idea that others expect of you. And then there's the other-oriented um, perfectionist, and this is when you impose your unrealistic expectations for perfection on someone else. Um, and if this is you, you expect others to live up to impossible standards. I mean, your challenge is that you lack empathy. And because you lack empathy, uh, you often tear others down or are abrasive and demeaning um, toward other people uh, who don't meet your standards. Some of you, uh, some of you had parents like that, and it's tough to grow up in that environment. Some of you are parents like that. And I'm telling you, it's tough for your kids to grow up in that environment. So if you recognize yourself in any of these categories, uh, what I want to do today is really is I want to talk about the spiritual side of perfectionism. 
Because a lot of times when we look at perfectionism or we think about those things, we, we think about it as a psychological issue. Um, and, and it is. Um, but I believe at its root, that at the root of it, it's actually a very real spiritual problem. And why? Because uh, perfectionism is very often a covering for our deepest insecurities or our deepest fears. Or if I can say it theologically, it's a covering uh, for our sinfulness. It's creating the illusion or the external standard that if I live up to this, then I'll be good enough. Uh, to somebody's standard, my own standards, or maybe even perhaps God's standard. At its root, perfectionism is a very real spiritual problem because it's just a covering, it's a hiding um, our sinfulness. In fact, if you go all the way back to the beginning into the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had it so easy. Like they were able to live free, the pressure was off, they were able to walk with God, talk with God, hang out with God, do all these things until they disobeyed God and they sinned. And their immediate reaction was, hey, I've got to try to hide some stuff. I've got to cover up. So they created a covering for themselves with leaves to create the appearance that you don't see any of my imperfections. I'm going to show you what I want you to see. And so often that's how we live our lives. So what do we do? If at its root it's a spiritual problem, um, then at its root we need to let God solve this problem. And what I want to do is I want to show you as clearly as I can from the book of Romans this morning, just a couple of verses, how it is that we're actually made right with God. This is what Paul said, and almost speaking directly into a spirit or a craving for perfectionism. This is what he said in Romans chapter 3. He said, for no one, and let me pause, for no one, like no one includes you. It includes the person you're sitting next to, the person that's in front of you, the person that's behind you, uh, the, the folks that are going to watch online this week. Um, it, no one. It doesn't matter if you were a, a great person, a bad person, a, a pastor, a priest, a holy person, a 17-year-old girl, and, and an 80-year-old man. No one says it will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. No one. No matter who you are, you can never be made right with God by doing what the law commands. We don't have it in us to completely obey the law of God. But this is what Paul said, rather through the law we become conscious of our sins. The law shows us how sinful we are. In other words, on our own, in our own fleshly sinfulness, we can never, ever, ever, ever obtain all the standards of the law. So why did Paul give the law? Simply, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. The law reveals the reality that we need help, that we need grace, we need mercy, that we're not good enough on our own. So, you know, like, yeah, like I'm, I'm a Christian. I think the, the Ten Commandments or, or whatever. But think about that before the, before the law, before the Ten Commandments, I'm um, even. Or, or think about those who, were, who would hear this in Jesus' day. The, the Pharisees, for example. There were uh, at least 613 commandments to live up to. 
Can you imagine that, 613? Like, we only have 10. And I can be honest with you, um, those 10 are pretty intimidating. Like, how, how do you do on them? Don't put anything ahead of God. Oh, fail that one for Josh. Don't lie. Oh, done that one. Don't covet. Dang, I've done that one. Don't take uh, the, the name of God in vain. And I hate to say it, not in the last couple of decades probably, but yeah, somewhere back in my sinful past, I failed that one. And we're going to stop right there. I don't want to tell you anymore. Um, but we cannot live up to it. No matter how hard you try, you can't get there. And the problem is today when, when we talk to people, they'll, they'll, they'll say, hey, don't tell me I'm a bad person. Don't call me a sinful person. I'm not a sinner. I'm not a bad person. I'm a good person. Don't judge me. Actually, it isn't judging. It's telling the truth. You are jacked up, screwed up, bad, evil sinner. And so am I. Welcome to KCC. We're, we're the feel-good church. We just make you feel good about yourself. But listen to me. Scripture says that even your heart is the deceitful above all things. That your heart is so messed up that you won't even lie to yourself about things. You can't even tell yourself the truth. Every single one of us, every single one of us, we've fallen short of God's standard. All of us. We don't have the capacity in our sinfulness to live up to a standard. And why is that so important? It's not because I want to make you feel bad about yourself, that you're a sinner. Like, we know that. But the reality is until you see yourself as a sinner, you won't see your need for a Savior. And that's why the law is so beautiful. It shows us that because the, that we can't live up to the standard, that we're sinners in need of a Savior. And until you recognize that, God cannot do a work in your life. So what do you do? How am I made right with God? This is so amazing. And many of you have probably heard this before, but I pray that, that you would hear it now like it's the very first time. How are we made right with God? Paul goes on to say, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. How are we made right with God? Not by religious effort, not by doing good works, not by eliminating bad stuff from our lives, not by joining a church, but we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus? He is the sinless Son of God who is perfect in every way. He's the one who hung out with sinners and loved the unrighteous and gave his life as a sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins. We're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul would say this is true for everyone who believes. Doesn't matter how bad you are. Doesn't matter how much you've messed up. Doesn't matter how much darkness there is in your past. This is true for everyone. No matter who you are. How are you made right with God? It's not Christ plus the church. It's not Christ plus good works. It's not Christ plus helping an old lady walk across the road. Like you don't have to do that to be made right with God. Well, you better do that, um, but, but you don't have to. It's not Christ plus not doing bad things. You're made right with God by Christ plus nothing. Jesus and Jesus alone. Jesus, the perfect son of God, 
and faith in him alone. It's not perfectionism, but it's grace. It's the grace of God. And I just want to contrast the two of those for, for a second. What is perfectionism? Perfectionism focuses on what I do. It's all about me, my performance, my effort, my religious works. But grace focuses on what Jesus has already done for you. It's his righteousness, it's his goodness, it's his perfect work. Perfectionism is all about me, my work, my effort. Grace is all about Jesus, the sinless son of God who did the perfect work that God sent him to do. Perfectionism believes if I obey, if I'm good enough, if I'm holy enough, then maybe God will love me. But grace is so much different than that because it starts with the love of God. Because God loves me, because he's accepted me through Christ, I can obey. I can do good works. I can be this type of person. I, I can choose what, what my outcome is. Perfectionism say, hey, I need to earn or I need to win God's approval. But grace says, because of Jesus, I'm living from God's approval. It's not by works so that I can boast. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ because of who Jesus is. Because of what he's done. I would encourage you today to, to step into that grace. Embrace uh, that grace. Step into the goodness of God. Listen, you don't have to be perfect to please him. You don't have to get it right to live, or live up to his standards. Because it's what Jesus did. It's our response is to step into his grace. So to somebody like, like me who is incredibly insecure who wants to impress everybody with my performance. Like, you know what that does? It takes the pressure off. It takes the pressure off. When we truly understand this, listen, it shouldn't just change the way we think, but it should change everything about how we relate to the people around us. It should change everything about the way that we live. You see, grace takes the pressure off. And what I want to do is just give you two thoughts of application this morning. And in my prayer, and I prayed this all week long, that the Holy Spirit would speak to you in one of these areas, or, or both of these areas even. That, that deep in your soul, that you wouldn't just have a head knowledge of what Jesus has done for you, but that you'd have a heart knowledge, that it would get down into your very being and change who you are. The first one is, is really kind of personal um, to me. Because I, I remember several years ago when I was in ministry that I finally made this decision. And it changed my life and it changed my ministry. Because of Jesus and his goodness and his grace, the pressure is off that, that I can choose people over perfection. Like I can choose people over perfection. Like we get to choose intimacy and close relationship with one another over trying to live up to some unrealistic expectation. That we can choose people over a performance and what people are going to think about me. In fact, I don't think there's any better illustration in the scripture than this in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, Jesus was um, having a meal uh, with a couple of sisters, Mary and Martha. And uh, Martha, um, Martha the Lord answered. Uh, Martha was running around. She was crazy, trying to get everything ready. Yeah, I imagine you invited um, the preacher over to your house. You want it to be clean. You want it to be smelling good and all that stuff. And you want dinner to be cooked or, uh, or whatever. But imagine Jesus, like he's the perfect guy coming to your house. 
And Martha's running around, like doing the dishes, cooking the meal, dusting the table. And she's mad, and there you got Mary just sitting there being lazy, talking to Jesus, not doing any work. And she complains. And this is what Jesus' answer. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Said Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Said Martha, I know you want everything to be perfect. Like I, I, I know that you want the house to be spotless. I know you want all this thing to be, but there are people in your life who need you, and who who need to spend time with. Think about your life in the areas that you could choose people over perfection. Because this constant pursuit of perfection is often driving people away, not bringing them in. But we're going to change the world by the way that we treat people, not by our perfect homes and perfect cars and perfect lives. We get an opportunity to choose people over perfection. And the second thing, and I just wanted to speak to you this morning, is that we can actually choose perfect love over perfect performance. We can choose the perfect love of our Father rather than performing and trying to impress Him or, or impress anybody else. And, and why does this matter? What, what is the spirit of perfectionism? So that it's a covering. The covering for our deepest fears and our greatest insecurities. So what are you trying to cover up? For some of you, it's deep feelings of, of inadequacy. You're just, you're, you've never been good enough, and, and people have told you that. Some of you, it's shame for something that, that maybe you did in your past, or maybe something that was done to you that wasn't even your fault. For some of you, maybe it's, it's guilt or, or fear of rejection, fear of being judged. Whatever it is, it's a covering, and, and it's a bad covering. Because listen, you don't have to be perfect. But wait. Didn't Jesus say be perfect? Didn't you quote that in the very beginning? Be perfect as, as your heavenly father is perfect. And what I did is I intentionally quoted that verse out of the context that it was in. So that I could read it to you now in that context. And, and it's very important that when you're looking at scripture, that you look at, at the whole story and not just pull one verse out of context. Um, because that's what we do so often. In the context that Jesus was teaching at this point, he was teaching about love, not about performance. But he was saying, listen, it is all about love. And this is what he said. He said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So saying what, what, what you have, this, this imperfect love is that, that you're loving your neighbor and hating your enemy. Then he says this, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you only greet your own people, like what are you doing any, any more than anyone else? Do not even the pagans do that? And then be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He wasn't talking about your behavior or your performance. He's talking about being perfected in love. The Greek word that's translated as perfect is the word, and it doesn't, it doesn't mean performance or, or, or anything like that. What it means is it means mature and complete. In other words, an eight-year-old isn't mature in body. 24-year-old might be. 
It's the same root word that Jesus used when he was on the cross, and he said, it is finished. It is mature. It is complete. What Jesus was saying is this, love. You've been taught love. I've taught you a new command was to love. What's the greatest command? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as as yourself. He said, what you need to do is you need to be perfected in, in love. That's why for all these years that it's finally getting through to to my perfectionist side. Because the reason I work so hard and perform is because my deepest fear of my life is that that I'll be inadequate, that I'll never be good enough. I won't be a good enough pastor. I won't be a good enough father. I won't be a good enough husband. I won't be good enough whatever. But what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to understand God's love and his desire is that I be perfect and perfected in love, not perfect in performance. And I just want to take a second to try to, to point that out to you. Like, think about having a, a, a baby, nine, maybe 10 months old, and, and they're trying to take a, a, wall, a step. Some of you have babies, and, and you've watched them do that. Maybe you've had in the past, you watch them. Like, nine or 10 months old, they're, first, like, they're like drunk Frankenstein, and then they fall down. Like, what do you do if you're the father? You don't look at your child that fell and say, you pathetic, no good, I can't... Like, I can't even believe you can't even walk three steps. I'm going to trade you in for someone who can do better. You don't do that. What you do is, is you hug them, and you love them, and you say, great job. You took a step forward. Now, now let's do it again. And whenever they fall, you continue to love them. And when they do something good, you continue to cheer them on. Listen, our God in heaven, our Father in heaven, is not withdrawing his love for you when you fall short. He's cheering you on when you get it right. He's continuing to love you because there's nothing you can do to cause him to love you any more or any less than he does right now because he is love. It's his very essence. It's who he is. And he's inviting us to step into it and stop worrying about being perfect. Stop worrying about all of these other things and choosing people and and over performance, choosing perfect love over perfect behavior. And he will begin to change you once that sinks into your life and into your heart. I love what, what Paul wrote later on in Romans. That he said, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Like, that's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves you. Step into it. Feel like the pressure leave. And then choose people over perfection. Choose perfect love over perfect performance. Be mature, complete. Because we have the unconditional, undeserved, unreserved, unmerited love of a father who sent his one and only son to die for us. And the way we're made right with God is by faith in Jesus Christ. This morning, some of you need to to make some decisions. Maybe for some of you, it's for the first time to place your faith in Jesus Christ in baptism. You know, Romans chapter 6, where where Gail read at the beginning of the service this morning, um, Paul said, we're united in Christ in baptism. That's our faith step. And some of you need to do that today. Some of you just need to look at those areas of your life and what are you covering? What are you hiding? You need to turn that over to God. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm going to pray. And the the band's going to lead us in a song. If there's a decision that you need to make, I'm going to invite you to come forward. Father God, today, 
And we're thankful, God, that we don't have to earn your love or your grace. But by faith in Jesus Christ, we can have that. Father, I'm thankful that he, your one and only son was willing to go to a cross and pay the price for us because we couldn't live up to it. Lord, I pray for all of us today that whatever we're covering, whatever we're hiding, that we trade it in for perfect love. We thank you for the example that we have in Jesus. It's in his name that I pray. Amen.